Hello, you sexy sat stackers, and welcome to the latest episode of the Bitcoin Bulletin Podcast. I am coming to you from an undisclosed location on the space coast of Florida. I am not in the studio, so if the audio sounds a little bit different, I'm still using a pretty good mic. I'm recording on a USB mic on my laptop instead of my fancy schmancy setup with the soundboard and the much more professional microphone. And besides that, it is absolutely coming down outside. It looks like there's a tropical system trying to form off the coast of Miami. Last night it was centered between Miami and the Bahamas. It looks like maybe it's moved possibly even inland over Miami or even the Everglades right now. But nonetheless, it is spinning a ton of moisture up and over all of Florida. And it is just a soggy mess out there. So if you hear uh, any raindrops pounding on the roof, sometimes when it's pouring, it gets really loud. Fortunately, I haven't heard any lightning or thunder yet, fingers crossed. So uh, I'm recording on my laptop, so I should be good if we lose power. So I'm not worried about that at all. And along those lines, let's dive right into it. This podcast is for information and entertainment purposes only. Nothing on this podcast should be construed as financial advice. All views expressed on this podcast are solely the opinions of the host and or any guests that we might have from time to time. Nothing on this podcast should be construed as a specific inducement to make a particular investment or to follow a particular investing strategy. All right, we do have quite a bit to talk about. Today, of course, is Wednesday, November 15th, 2023, and that means it is our DCA Wednesday episode. But before we make that DCA stack, there are a few things I wanted to talk about. Obviously, a lot of people are paying attention to the price, especially since it looks like we're in the middle of a bull run, a bull market. Looks like the bull market's kicked off a little bit early. Obviously, it's it's too soon to tell. As I mentioned last week, if you look back at 2019, we did have a pump uh, in the beginning of 2020. And then, of course, we had the thing happen in March of 2020. The shutdown happened, and that's when Bitcoin actually reached its cycle low. So it tanked all the way back down. Uh, and in general, the bull market, at least the really euphoric face-melting bull market, doesn't really kick off until after the halving, and that's not going to happen until next April. So, of course, you know, history doesn't repeat, but it does rhyme. So it's possible that we're in a bull market. It's also possible that Bitcoin is just doing what Bitcoin's going to do as we kind of continue to consolidate the end of the consolidation phase anyway before before the upcoming halving. And of course, yesterday we did see a bit of a dip uh, and Bitcoin dropped all the way down to below $35,000 at one point in time. Uh, but again, if you zoom out just a week, we basically only went down to where we were last DCA Wednesday. So the big sell-off, the big liquidation event that caused Bitcoin to lose a couple thousand dollars in price really only took us down to where we were a week prior. And of course, Bitcoin has bounced back to essentially where we were before the sell-off. So it looks like uh, the bull run, at least for the moment, continues. Along those lines, there are headlines such as FTX Street reporting Bitcoin price drops $90 million in open interest wiped out amid jitter over spot BTC ETF window closing. I have no idea if that's what triggered uh, the, the price dip. As you know, there's a lot of speculation that one or more of the spot Bitcoin ETFs may be approved this week because there's kind of this window of opportunity where the comment periods are closed for the first several batches of ETFs that were filed. 
and the comment periods for the next batch of ETFs has not opened yet. And so the people that are in the know said that if there were going to be an approval, possibly it would come during this, this time period. And of course that's drawing to a close. I believe that, uh, that comment period ends on Friday or at least in the next day or two. Uh, and that may or may not even have had anything to do with why, with why, you know, Bitcoin retraced a little bit. Sometimes Bitcoin just does what Bitcoin does. Obviously yesterday we got information on the official inflation numbers and obviously I, you know, my opinion that, that all of those government statistics are, are complete BS. There's a certain, uh, certainly a healthy amount of gaslighting going on right now with respect to how the economy is, the shape of the economy, the uh, financial health of the average consumer. Uh, so, you know, the, the, the markets were digesting the interest rate, the, uh, the interest, the interest rate news, uh, the, I'm sorry, they were digesting the, inflation inflation news which it's kind of a mixed bag in one way they say that inflation has actually cooled a little bit but then most of that was attributed to lower oil prices so in other ways things have actually gotten a little bit worse if we're really reliving the 1970s and it certainly feels like we are then basically inflation you know it had peaks and valleys and it was it kind of you know it basically stayed elevated for 10 years and there were Moments when inflation soared and then moments where it, where it looked like inflation was starting to taper off a little bit. But uh, in general, inflation remained high until, until, until the 1980s. And there's certainly no reason to feel optimistic that the government's going to get its spending under control, that they're going to stop printing money anytime soon. So uh, that's neither here nor there. Uh, but eventually, you know, it, it is all good for Bitcoin because as people start to realize that their currency is melting away from them, that melting ice cube that Michael Saylor likes to talk about, uh, they start looking for places to put their money. And, you know, traditionally that was things like uh, gold. And now we have Bitcoin. But I digress. As usual, the real reason that we had the, the big price dump isn't necessarily speculation or, or sales. It's because there's so much algorithmic trading these days that once we got a fairly decent sized price change uh, that triggers a cascade of liquidations, a cascade of automated automated sales and liquidations. And that's, uh, you know, as usual, when the price starts running one way or another, you see that that wave of liquidations, which is basically just pouring gas on the fire. So it would turn what would normally be a, a bump or a dip into a pretty huge move. Remember, we saw this after the FTX collapse when it was just wave after wave of liquidations, even even on the uh, the, the company level it was people were people were speculating like crazy about Michael Saylor and Michael Strat MicroStrategy because we were getting close to where well, they were below their break even point and close to what people were speculating would have been a liquid a liquidation point for them so one thing leads to another and it's kind of almost like it's it's kind of almost like you know a mass hysteria only most of it's algorithmic because you know people have these trading bots set up or or they have you know they they they've they've gone long or they've gone short and they've done so on margin so even if they don't want to sell, they just get margin called and, and their their collateral gets liquidated. But I digress. That is all old news now because the price is clearly rebounded. Yahoo Finance has the headline, Dow leads stocks higher as oil falls and Bitcoin soars. Another headline on Yahoo News, we regret to inform you that Bitcoin is spiking. 
Bitcoin Boomlet Wall Street Bros rejoice. Bitcoin has increased in value to $37,605.53. It was Wednesday, its highest valuation in a year. And then, of course, they go on to say, but it's nowhere near the halcyon days of November 2021 when it crested over $65,000 because obviously the mainstream financial media, even though there are some orange-pilled people out there now and it's getting a little bit better, uh, it's really funny because Bitcoin was only you know, $65,000, $69,000 for a matter of hours. And pretty much nobody bought at that price. The vast majority of people holding Bitcoin bought substantially lower. But they always like to tell you that the price isn't $37,000. It's only half of what the all-time high was. I mean, that's a crash, right? Another headline on the street said, Crypto analysts say the Bitcoin price is primed to hit $50,000 in 2024. And then they go on to talk about the having a major event scheduled for early next year as market analysts predicting significant gains for the Bitcoin price in coming months. Uh, so, you know, that leads me to ask, why so bearish the street.com? Because if you know anything about the history of Bitcoin and the history of its four-year cycles, if history repeats or even rhymes, we should hit a lot higher than 50,000 in 2024. Well, the ultimate new all-time high will probably not happen until sometime in 2025. We should at least eclipse the previous all-time high before the end of 2023, obviously, if, if history rhymes, that is. If you remember the 2020 halving happened on May 11th of 2020, and Bitcoin didn't eclipse its previous all-time high until December 20th of that year, and that was funny because it hit 20,000 on the 20th, and 21,000 on the 21st, and 22,000 on the 22nd, 23,000 on the 23rd. It was almost getting comical uh, the way it was doing that, at least at least it, that's the way I remember it. And if you listen to the likes of Bitcoin super OG Adam Back, you'll remember that he has a bet that we will be over 100,000 US dollars per Bitcoin by the 2024 halving day. So by next April, that's certainly a lot more than 50,000. So why so bearish? Of course, none of this really takes into the in, into into effect the huge impact that a potential ETF approval or multiple ETF approvals could have if the SEC actually approves one or all of the ETFs, the spot ETFs, and they do so before the halving. That would definitely be a case where this time is different. And every four years, they always say this time is different. But the cliche would probably be true because uh, an event like that with the potential for normie money and institutional money to pour into Bitcoin in the terms of billions or maybe even trillions of dollars uh, would definitely boost Bitcoin's price. I don't think there's any guarantee the SEC will approve the spot Bitcoin ETFs because as you remember, not approving the ETFs was kind of part of the and then they fight you phase. Just because they the SEC lost the court case when they were sued by grayscale over their denial of turning GBTC into an ETF doesn't mean that they that they have to. It doesn't even mean they will even if it meant they have to. Because you remember, there are plenty of times, for example, New York City and Chicago, and this has nothing to do with, with Bitcoin, but it, it, it I'm making the point that the government likes to ignore court rulings. Both those major cities have gun control rules that were ruled unconstitutional by the U.S. Supreme Court, and they just don't care. The cities are just ignoring Supreme Court rulings, or they just pass another law, which they know will eventually be struck down, but it'll take five or 10 years with the you know time to do so. So just because the SEC got smacked down in the lawsuit, uh, in the, in the uh, GBTC lawsuit, 
does not mean that they're going to cave and approve an ETF anytime soon. So maybe they will. Maybe, maybe the, you know, things are changing. Maybe they're coming around. Maybe BlackRock is influential enough that they'll get their way. Uh, I am personally good with it not happening because the more of the Bitcoin that's mined out there, and we've, we've got what, 93% of all Bitcoin that's ever been mined is been mined and issued already the more of that that's in the hand of or hands of ordinary plebs the better the you know the longer you have to stack before blackrock and other wall street investment banks investment firms get their grubby hands on our corn the better of course you know that is that that double-edged sword that it would be nice to have more time to stack more sats but it will also be fun to see the value of our stack source so i'm good either way but you know, if you take that long-term horizon, that long-term thinking, uh, I would actually, I guess I would actually prefer the crab market go on forever, at least until I have, you know, significantly more corn than I've already stacked. Along those lines, Forbes and Forbes articles can be, you know, Forbes pretty much lets, lets just about anybody write articles. So you have to take it pretty much anything you read in Forbes with a grain of salt, but they're running a headline saying very important sudden BlackRock breakthrough predicted to trigger huge $25 trillion Bitcoin, Ethereum, and XRP crypto price earthquake. Uh, and they say star stock picker and founder of emerging technology investor ARK, Kathy Wood, has called BlackRock's Bitcoin ETF filing a breakthrough that will spur the Bitcoin price sharply higher over the next few years. Duh. Uh, and of course, yeah, it probably will spur the price of S coins higher as well, because they're always riding on Bitcoin's coattails. And every time Bitcoin pumps, we see more scam coins emerge. That doesn't mean they're not ultimately trending to zero in Bitcoin terms, because even if the price of Ethereum doubles, if the price of Bitcoin 10 X's, uh, you would still be foolish to have invested your money in anything other than Bitcoin. The infamous Plan B has pointed out yet another possible potential driver of mainstream investment money moving into Bitcoin, posting just a few hours ago on Twitter or X, 23 trillion locked up in ESG funds looking for a home. Bitcoin uses less than 50% sustainable or greater than 50% sustainable energy, better than any other industry. Both EVs and, Bit and Bitcoin have zero direct emissions, only secondary emissions from electricity use. BTC, more sustainable. And he links to an article and a graph that basically shows that the, uh, the carbon footprint of the sustainability of Bitcoin is much higher than, than, uh, than that of electric vehicles. And you have all this money, as Plan B says, $23 trillion dollars locked up in ESG funds by people that are investing specifically out of conscious because, you know, they're, they're ESG investors. And I think what he's implying is that when people realize that Bitcoin is in fact greener than Tesla, that some of that money will then come pouring into Bitcoin. And I think ESG trading is really stupid, but I've seen it before in the 1980s when they were uh, pushing uh, the quote unquote sin stocks saying that you shouldn't invest in like RJ Reynolds tobacco and you shouldn't invest in alcohol stocks because tobacco and alcohol are horrible for people and it's horrible for humanity. And yeah, they're great companies making money hand over fist from a financial standpoint, but it's just, it's a sin to invest in them. And so there was that whole, that whole sin stock thing in the eighties and nineties. And that's kind of, kind of almost exactly the same psychologically as the whole ESG shenanigans 
that we're seeing now. Speaking of Plan B, he also posted further evidence that the bull market is gaining steam um, about 12 hours before his ESG post. He tweeted a, a, a relative strength index chart saying Bitcoin is getting stronger. RSI 57.5 trend is clear. And if you look at his graph, uh, it basically shows the previous four year cycles where RSI bottomed out in, you know, in below 50. It looks like one year it bottomed out about 45, another cycle it bottomed out, you know, closer to 40. Same with this last cycle bottomed out closer to 40. And uh, if you look at the graph, it sure certainly looks like we have bottomed out as far as the, you know, the RSI is concerned, uh, corresponding to the halving cycle. If you don't know what RSI is, that's short for Relative Strength Index. And according to Investopedia, RSI is the Relative Strength Index is a momentum indicator used in technical analysis. RSI measures the speed and magnitude of a security's recent price changes to evaluate overvalued or undervalued conditions in the price of that security. The RSI is displayed as an oscillator, parentheses a line graph, on a scale of 0 to 100. The indicator was developed by J. Wells Wilder Jr. and introduced in his seminal 1978 book, New Concepts in Technical Trading Systems. The RSI can do more than point to overbought and oversold securities. It can also indicate securities that may be primed for a trend reversal or corrective pullback in price. It can signal when to buy and sell. Traditionally, an RSI reading of 70 or above indicates an overbought situation. A reading of 30 or below indicates an oversold condition. Obviously, this is, you know, more related to the, you know, the stock market, traditional financial markets. Uh, but, and I don't, I'm not a big fan of technical analysis anyway, you slice it. But looking at Plan B's RSI as Relative Strength Index chart, it does, it does reflect, it does line up perfectly uh, with the previous halving cycles. And it, I guess it would just be one more indicator that the bottom is in and that momentum is building. Uh, we're, what he said, do we have an RSI of 57.5? Uh, so according to what we just read on Investopedia, that would put it in neither the underbought nor the oversold category. And our, the, the RSI in previous cycles has peaked out above 95 or all the way at 100 when, when Bitcoin is brand new. So uh, the euphoric phase, according to the Plan B's chart anyway, is usually looks like it's whenever when the RSI is above 70 and soaring up to closer to 90. Uh, but we're solidly we're solidly above the bottom, solidly above the trough, as far as his RSI chart is concerned, at least. Kind of in a funny bit of news. Earlier this week, the US's credit rating was downgraded to negative. Uh, Moody's basically uh, downgraded the US economic outlook from stable to negative. And of course, the Biden administration has the hilarious headline, Biden rejects downgrade, like he has anything to say with it. You know, I the price of Bitcoin could go down tomorrow and I could reject that. No, the price of Bitcoin can go down and it means nothing. It's just silly, the silliest form of shenanigans. But Reuters ran the headline, Biden officials reject Moody's shift to negative outlook, point to Republican dysfunction. So that's it. The Republicans in in Congress, the Republicans running the House, running only half of one third of the branch of the government are the reason why we have inflation. The reason why 
the United States's credit rating is going to crap. Uh, it's it's because the new Speaker of the House, the, you know, that was a messy, it was messy choosing the new Speaker of the House and the Republicans haven't really gotten their, their shtick together since they, uh, since they ousted their previous Speaker of the House. And therefore, uh, that's why we have a bad credit rating. No, not because we doubled the amount of money in supply, not because, you know, our debt to GDP ratio has ballooned above 130%. You know, not because there's there's not even a not even a none of these budget proposals, none of these continuing resolutions even have a hint at even slowing the rate of government spending uh, there. The, the whole concept of, of balancing our budget, it, it's just completely off the table anymore. Nobody even talks about it, not even jokingly anymore, it seems. So. Um, so, of course, Biden says that um, he disregards it. It, it doesn't it didn't really happen. Pay no attention. You know, look over here. Don't look over there. Uh, and if it did happen, it's only because of evil Republicans. With clown of a White House spokesman, Karine Jean-Pierre, saying the change was, quote, yet another consequence of congressional Republican extremism and dysfunction. Uh, you know, Marty Bent has made a lot of bad calls on his uh, TFTC podcast or on the rabbit hole recap when he, if you remember, he got mocked relentlessly for calling that we we're at peak clown world. Uh, I think before the virus thing even hit and obviously clown world has just gotten more and more ridiculous since then. And this is just another example of peak clown world. I don't think they're this stupid. I think they think you are this stupid. I think they know that when you go shopping, you see that things got more expensive. They know the government spending is out. They know, you know, government spending is out of control uh, and they're just going to get on television and just lie to you because uh, the media is going to repeat it and it, there's nothing you can do about it anyway. Okay. Here's a pet peeve of mine. I wanted to talk about, as you know, for the entirety of this podcast, I've been doing our DCA Wednesday stack using the cash app. And I love the cash app because even though they charge a two and a quarter percent fee, which is a lot more than a lot of other places where you can purchase Bitcoin. They did not charge a spread and they let me transfer my Bitcoin to my hardware wallet for free without charging a mining fee. So it basically made up for the little bit more than it costs in fees. That looks like that's changing because as of now, Cash App is also charging a spread. I went to make a transaction the other day and in addition to their two and a quarter percent fee, they had a spread of more than $200, more than the current price that they were displaying. They wanted to be charge me an additional $200. And a spread is nothing unusual. Most exchanges either charge you a fee or a spread. For example, Strike doesn't charge you a spread. It doesn't charge you a fee. They just simply charge you a spread. So you're going to pay, you know, about 200 bucks more than the, than, the, than the fair market value or the current market price of Bitcoin. And that works out to about a half a percent which isn't that that much of a fee, at least compared to the two and a quarter percent that Cash App is charging. Now, Cash App is still charging the two and a quarter percent fee plus the about half a percent spread, which means their fees are all the way up to 2.75%, which as far as I know is higher than, than any other app or exchange that I'm familiar with, unless they've all raised their prices recently as well. And this kind of leads me to the so much for the Jack Mahler speech at the Bitcoin conference a couple of years ago in Miami, where he got on stage and he said that the, this is the new race to zero is the race to zero fees because, you know, strike wasn't going to charge a fee and other companies were going to have to cut their fees to keep up with them. 
So basically it was the race to the bottom to, to charge the, the lowest fee possible and then find a way to make money in other ways, you know, other forms of revenue for the company. Clearly that hasn't happened. And speaking of Strike, I was looking at maybe using Strike to make my DCA Wednesday stack uh, because their spread still works out to cheaper than Cash App's fee and spread. But Strike charges you a 2% fee to use your debit card to add money to your Strike account. They'll let you add money for free if you link your bank account. But like so many other apps and services, they use Plaid to link your bank account. You can't just manually link a bank account to your uh, to your Strike app. And what that means is you have to give your login credentials, your account numbers and your passwords to Plaid. And they scroll through your entire account history basically and they record it all, they document it all and God only knows what they do with it. Uh, and I'm not giving anyone my, I mean, that goes against the fundamental rule of everything Bitcoiners stand for. It's like giving someone your 24, you know, your 24 seed words because you want to trust them to hook your wallet up for you. Just no effing way am I using Plaid. So that means the only way that I could use Strike is to use my debit card, which means I'm going to eat the 2% fee and then you're going to pay the five, the half a percent spread. So now you're talking a two and a half percent fee, which is essentially what Cash App is charging. And Strike also charges a mining fee to transfer your Bitcoin off of Strike and into your, into your, into your hardware wallet. So I'm going to be stuck using cash app for one more week at least i'm going to do a little bit of research if any of y'all have any suggestions out there what you use what you like to use some way that might be a little bit cheaper than cash app hit me up on twitter again we're at btc bulletin pod on twitter send me a dm and let me know what your what your opinions are or send me an email at bitcoin bulletin at protonmail.com bitcoin bulletin at protonmail.com because i'm really kind of peeved at at uh at well, I peeved at both Strike and Cash App. I was peeved at Strike beforehand because of the whole 2% to add money for my debit card. I know they got to make money. I know it costs them money to process the debit transaction. But one of the reasons I haven't purchased any coffee from El Salvador right now recently and I'm running out is because I always pay in Lightning. And instead of sending Lightning from my existing stack, I was using Strike to where it would take US dollar you know, US dollars out of my debit card and convert it to sats and send the sats to uh, the good beans to pay for my coffee. And um, then they made it, I guess, because of the things that were going on with some of the uh, some of the companies that were doing the back end for strike and other companies, they disabled debit cards completely for a while. And then when they came back online, uh, they were charging a fee. So I have to reassess some of that, especially since I'm almost out of coffee and I want to buy more coffee and I want to pay in sats. On the interesting, maybe hopium from for the state of Florida and Miami, maybe we'll we'll believe it when we see it news. Bloomberg is reporting that billionaire Ken Griffin sees Miami possibly replacing New York City as financial capital. The article says Citadel founder Ken Griffin says his new home of Miami could eventually unseat New York as the world's financial center. The article continues with a quote from Griffin saying, We'll see how big Wall Street South becomes, Griffin said in an interview Tuesday with Bloomberg News at the Citadel Securities Global Macro Conference in Miami. We're on Brickle Bay, and maybe in 50 years it will be Brickle Bay North, how we refer to New York in, in finance. Titans of Wall Street have flocked to South Florida in recent years, attracted by warm weather and lack of state income tax. 
But Griffin, who moved to Miami last year, plans to outdo them all by changing the face of the city with more than one uh, more than one billion dollar waterfront tower that will serve as Citadel's headquarters, as well as political and philanthropic donations ranging from a children's hospital to soccer. This actually isn't anything new. Uh, it's kind of funny because companies have been moving to Miami for years, but more importantly than that, Miami is already a financial hub. It's pretty much considered the Wall Street for Central and South America. If you are a billionaire or you're doing business in you know Brazil or Argentina or Latin America, chances are your business is running through Miami already. But billionaires always tend to see things through their own eyes. And when they come up with a great idea, it, it, it seems like it's their idea, right? They don't. It, it doesn't occur to them maybe other people have already been doing this um, because Miami's been a financial crossroads for decades. It started out as a trading post in the middle of the Everglades. So even its very roots uh, are or as a financial hub. So granted, it is nowhere near the scale of Wall Street at New York, but uh, the trend isn't new. In fact, Bloomberg, the same, this, this is the very same news outlet reported in December, 2021, the headline Bloomberg forum highlights Miami's growth as a financial center. So in December, 2021, they were saying the increase of financial firms moving to Florida might make Miami the Wall Street of the South according to speakers at Bloomberg's recent forum, The New Miami. Financial firms are attracted by the warmer weather and lower taxes, said the business and government leaders who spoke at the event, held to discuss how economic and political shifts are affecting Miami, as well as other cities across the world. So they're even using the exact same verbiage. And it is a no-brainer. One of the reasons to come to Florida is because it doesn't snow. You don't have to shovel sunshine. Um, and Miami being in Florida, Florida does not have a state income tax. So, you know, if, if you're a business in New York, not only do you pay New York state income tax, you pay New York city income tax. And, you know, normally state income tax is significantly lower than, than the federal income tax. Like for example, uh, one of the states I'm familiar with, uh, their state income tax is 10% of your federal income tax. So if you pay a hundred thousand dollars in federal income tax, you'd only pay $10,000 in state income tax. But if you're paying hundreds of millions of dollars in taxes, that means you're still paying tens of millions of dollars in state taxes. And that is real money. So uh, it's a no-brainer that that Florida has a much better business environment. The business regulations are better here. Really, the only downside to Florida that most people think of are there are hurricanes and it's hot and humid. But I love the hot and humid certainly a lot more than I like the ice and the snow. And hurricanes, so far, knock on wood, haven't really been that big of a deal for most people. If you get absolutely smacked by an eye wall of a you know a major hurricane, it's going to ruin your day. It's going to wipe your part of the city off the map. But the eye wall of a hurricane, you know, when you look on the on the weather and you see the the satellite photo of a hurricane, it covers the whole state. Really, the eye wall may only be 5, 10, 15 miles wide. And that's kind of like the the tornado of the hurricane at the center where the winds are spinning. The fastest winds are rotating right around that eye wall. So the the area, like even if a hurricane were even the well, the last major hurricane to hit like Melbourne, Florida, which is one of the largest cities in central Florida, it devastated a two or three block stretch of the beach. But in general, you know, the town of half a million people didn't get a whole lot of damage whatsoever. And if you're not right on the beach, it's really just a wind and rain event. It's the storm surge, that wind-driven water that 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 comes up and over your, over the land that 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 
acts like a bulldozer that plows anything down. Other than that, uh, you know, if you're if you're in Orlando, for example, which is 60 miles away from the beach, uh, you might have some tree branches fall down. Power might go out, um, but you know, it's not it's it's not it's not as catastrophic as a lot of people worry about. Miami is hot year round, though. Here in Central Florida, it's actually starting to cool off. It's in the 70s this week. Uh, it it you know it gets down into the 50s sometimes when we get a really good cold front moving through. Whereas Miami in general is just going to be 80 and humid because uh, it's closer to the tropics. So I don't personally ever see myself living in a city like Miami. I, I, I like visiting there occasionally, but I, it's not even my favorite place to visit. Uh, it's kind of funny that that people keep pimping Miami. Like Bitcoin, the Bitcoin conference was in Miami a couple years in a row and Bitcoiners were flat out getting sick of Miami. And I'm thinking, hey, you could have a conference in Florida, a, 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 a welcoming, embracing state like Florida that will let you have a conference when other states were saying you can't have a conference, you super spreaders, you murderers. And Florida was like, come on in, bring your conference. We'll, you know, bring your people. We'll, we'll, we'll have a party. Uh, Miami's not the only place. This is a big city. They're a big state. There's like 30 million people that live in, uh, that live in, that live in Florida. I'm almost a three hour drive away from Miami. And I think this is my little slice of paradise here. So Florida is a great place to do business. And it's a no-brainer that we're going to see more companies relocate here. Hopefully, more Bitcoin companies. All right, I have rambled on about the news more than enough. We need to get on to that DCA Wednesday stack. Before we do, let's take a real quick look at the vital statistics. At the time of this recording, or at least right now, uh, substantially into the time of the recording, we're at a block height of 816948 and Bitcoin is ringing in at a U.S. dollar value of 37000 $725, which is as high as we've seen it. I mean, that's $2,200 more than last DCA Wednesday. So for those of you thinking Bitcoin crashed yesterday, it's currently $2,500 more per Bitcoin than it was just last DCA Wednesday. And that means that you will get 2,651 sats per every filthy US dollar you convert into Bitcoin significantly fewer than the 2,813 sats per dollar you would get last week. Remember folks, when Bitcoin hits 50,000, you will only get 2,000 sats per dollar. Every dollar above $50,000 means we will get less than 2,000 sats per dollar. So that's not going to be too long before uh, before the, uh, the, the number of sats you're going to be able to stack, at least for uh, well, for any amount, is gonna is gonna start dwindling. Your time to accumulate is running out. TikTok next block that having is getting closer. And speaking of that having getting closer, we're currently twenty three thousand fifty two blocks away from that having. As you know, the minor reward that miners get for finding the next Bitcoin block is cut in half every two hundred and ten thousand blocks. The next having occurs at block eight hundred and forty thousand, twenty three thousand fifty two blocks from now. And depending on whose estimator you're looking at, it looks like that's going to happen on 420, April 20th of uh, 2024, Elon Musk's favorite day. I mean, the only thing that could make it better for Elon is if Bitcoin's worth $69,000 on 420, then he'd get his 420.69. Bitcoin's current price gives it a market capitalization of $737.3 billion dollars. Up, up significantly from the 694.4 billion market capital uh, market cap last week. And for those of you who still value your wealth in shiny yellow rocks, it's now going to cost you 19.4 ounces of gold to purchase just one Bitcoin, a full 
ounce more than last DCA Wednesday. That is one full one ounce gold coin more than just last Wednesday to purchase just one Bitcoin. As I say, you get Bitcoin at the price you deserve. And right now that's 19.4 ounces of gold per Bitcoin. But sooner rather than later, we're going to be talking about pounds of uh, pounds of gold, not ounces of gold, as gold tends to trend towards zero in Bitcoin terms. For those of you who value your wealth in pizza, one Bitcoin will currently purchase you 2,109 large pepperoni pizzas from Papa John's. That is the first time I can remember, the first time scrolling way back, that one Bitcoin would purchase you more than 2,000 pizzas. That is one pizza a day for more than five and a half years for just one Bitcoin. That is a lot of food security for just one Bitcoin. And I can't even imagine what those numbers are going to look like five, 10 years from now. I mean, I can't imagine. It's going to be insane. It won't even be worth talking. It'll be like, you know, 50,000 pizza. What are you going to do with 50,000 pizzas, right? Unless, you, uh, unless you're trying to feed a city or starting the world's largest Feed the Poor with Pizza charity. And looking back at the, getting back to the Bitcoin vital statistics, according to Clark Moody's dashboard, his mempool has 21 blocks worth of transactions pending. That's only a third of last week when there were 65 blocks worth of transactions pending in his mempool. But this is a little sticky because while it looks like there's fewer pending transactions, fees are through the roof. Clark Moody's fee estimator is saying that if you want an on-chain transaction to be included in the next block, it is going to cost you 129 sats per V-byte to do so. And even if you're willing to wait a day, it's going to cost you 117 sats per V-byte. That is up from just 12 sats per V-byte last week. And if you've got a week to wait, it's still going to cost you 117 sats per V-byte, whereas just last week, his fee estimator said a fee of two sats per V-byte would be mined within a week. I, however, cautioned you to be wary of that because the way things were trending, I wouldn't want you to get stuck with a fee that all, all of a sudden was obsolete and boy, howdy, is it obsolete. Now, mempool.space normally estimates a little lower than Clark Moody's fee estimator, and it is not. This week, it is actually a little higher. Mempool.space is recommending a 132 sat per V-byte fee to guarantee that you're in the next block or so for their high priority transactions. That works out to $6.98. Still cheaper than sending a wire, still phenomenally cheap considering that you can send money to anywhere, anywhere in the world. Nobody can stop you, uh, but a lot more expensive than two weeks ago when it was only $1.09. They're even saying that a low priority transaction should have a fee of 123 sats per V-byte and a no priority transaction where you're you're prepared to wait maybe up a week or two for that transaction to confirm. Uh, they're still recommending 26 sats per V-byte. So their cheapest fee estimator is 26 sats per V-byte and that still works out to $1.38 in US dollar terms. All of that's up substantially over last week and way up compared to you know just a week or two before. And speaking of activity, the stat that you know I like to follow, but has been my favorite transaction statistic is Bitcoin's 24-hour on-chain transaction average. And that is still screaming at an average of 6.86 transactions per second, almost exactly where we were last week at 6.90 transactions per second. Uh, again, that's heavily influenced by the fact that we're seeing a lot of ordinal and inscription activity just absolutely clogging up the header space on our transactions. 
that was one of those unintended consequences of Segwit and Taproot, or Taproot specifically. The reason that you estimate your fees in V-bytes instead of bytes is because certain parts of your Bitcoin transaction, the data is weighed differently. So the header transaction uh, is basically given a cheaper fee rate. So you can pack a JPEG or God only knows what into the header, uh, the signature portion of a transaction, and you can do it for a lot cheaper because uh, it's, it's weighed less than the actual body of the transaction, which would be you know, your signatures for your moving your Bitcoin around as opposed to um, just the, uh, the, the, the header, the signature part, the, uh, I'm, I'm getting my, I'm getting my tongue tied, my tongue twisted up here, but you know, the header portion of the transaction as opposed to the meat of the transaction. Uh, and because of that, uh, there, the network is being basically spammed. Many people have pointed out that the people that are behind ordinals and inscriptions are also big time BSV S coiners. And so there's, um, there's a conspiracy, which may or may not be a conspiracy, that that this is basically being done as an attack or basically being done as a nuisance, trying to spam the Bitcoin network, because certainly the BSVers have spammed the Bitcoin network before, trying to drive fees up when they were trying to say, look how cheap it is to use our network that nobody transacts, transacts with. It would only cost like $1,000 to 51% attack. But I digress. Since the last time we spoke, Bitcoin's mining difficulty went up by 3.5% about three days ago. As you know, the difficulty it takes to find the next Bitcoin block is adjusted every 2016 blocks, which is theoretically every two weeks, with the goal of one Bitcoin block being found on average every 10 minutes. And when blocks are coming in faster than 10 minutes on average, the difficulty is increased. If they're coming in slower than 10 minutes on average, the difficulty is decreased to try and seek out that 10 minute average. And we are currently 1,548 blocks away from the next difficulty adjustment. So about, about 11 days from now, on a, looks like it's gonna be on a, uh, November 26th. And depending on whose data you're looking at, it's gonna be a decrease this time. It looks like maybe they overshot a little bit, uh, a decrease of anywhere from 0.94% to 2.7% because blocks are currently averaging 10 minutes and 16 seconds. So before the difficulty increased, they were coming in at an average of nine minutes and 42 seconds. Uh, the increase might have been a little, might have overshot things a little bit because now they're coming a little too slow. However, uh, there's a lot of factors that come into play here. For example, more hash rate could come online. And if that happens, then blocks will start to come in faster and faster. And we could even end up with an increase instead of a decrease. So almost two weeks out, it's still too too early to tell. But at the time of this podcast, it looks like uh, there will be a decrease in mining difficulty in about 11 days, anywhere from 0.94% to 2.7%. <clears throat> Pardon me. Real quick, I want to thank those of you listening on your favorite podcasting 2.0 app, such as Fountain. Podcasting 2.0 helps you help your favorite podcasts by supporting them on the value for value model via either streaming sats on a permanent listening basis or by sending boosts, which are like shout outs, but they're a lightning transaction. So you can send a message supporting your podcast uh, with a lightning tip as well. We do not have any boosts to read this episode, but thank you to those of you who are listening and who have supported the podcast in the past. You can still listen on Fountain and not you know, boost or stream sats. Uh, and I still recommend listening on your favorite podcasting 2.0 app because for example, Fountain will actually pay you sats to listen for the first 60 minutes 
a day that you listen to podcasts using Fountain, they will stream you Satoshis. Usually that changes. It's subject to a variety of factors, but on average, you get sats for the first hour of podcasts you listen to. And if you listen to a promoted podcast, something you might not have normally listened to, uh, they can stream you even more sats. And, and you might find a podcast you like that you didn't even know about. Or like me, you'll find yourself listening to a podcast that you are completely disgusted by uh, just for the sats. But I digress. Our geographic distribution of listeners has remained unchanged once again. Our top 10 countries are as follows. Number one is the United States. Number two is Germany. Correction, number two is Argentina. Number three is Germany. Number four is Luxembourg. Number five remains Canada. Number six is Spain. Number seven is Colombia. Number eight is Sweden. Number nine is Singapore. And number 10 is Venezuela. So thank you. Hola, muchas gracias. Dankeschön. To all of you, regardless of wherever you're listening from, it's really cool, though, to look at these statistics and see that we have a truly international audience. Bitcoin is global. Bitcoin is for everybody. And therefore, it is, uh, it's heartening to see that, that my listeners are all over the world as well. And hopefully that means I'm providing you content that you find beneficial, even if you're not in the United States or Europe, even if you're in Singapore or Sweden or wherever you're at. Um, thank you. Thank you so much for listening. All right, now on to the meat of why we beat on Wednesdays, and that is because Wednesdays are DCA Wednesdays. And if you don't know what DCA is, DCA is short for dollar cost averaging, and dollar cost averaging is an investment strategy where you invest your money in equal portions at regular intervals regardless of price. For example, this is going to be our 121st stack. We started stacking more than two years ago on Wednesday, July 28th, 2021. So, so far that's been 120 Wednesdays and each Wednesday we've stacked $20, stacking a total of 2,400 US dollars, including $54 in fees and amassing a stack of 8,297,459 sats. And perhaps most importantly, we did so at an average cost price, an average cost basis of $28,924.52. So to get back to the whole DCA thing, the equal portions, we chose $20 and I did so because I wanted to keep it simple. I wanted to show that even if you can only afford as little as $20 a week, that eventually that will build up a stack of Satoshis that, that, that will be of consequence, that will be beneficial to you. And we also wanted to test out, you know, the theory of DCA versus just lump sum investing or, or aping in as, as they say, YOLOing in as they say. Once again, we're gonna use Cash App for today's purchase. I do so almost loathingly because as I mentioned, I don't like their new fee structure, but I already have $20 on Cash App. So I've got my Cash App open, tapping on Bitcoin, tapping buy, entering $20, tapping confirm, and boom, just like that, we purchased another 52,182 sats. Bitcoin's been trending down in value a little bit, in price a little bit while I've been yapping because we purchased at a base price of $37,465. Of course, when you add in the fees that we just paid, it looks like we paid $38,327. So almost $1,000 more between the spread and that fee. Uh, again, guys, 
if you have if you haven't been using Cash App and there's a, an app or an exchange that you are absolutely in love with, send me a DM at, at BTC Bulletin Pod on Twitter or X, or send me an email at Bitcoin Bulletin and ProtonMail.com and let me know what you think because I'm currently very disenfranchised with Cash App at the moment. But back to our stack. Today's purchase brings our total stack up to 8,349,614 sats. It did raise our average purchase price by $58, more than $58, in fact. Our average cost basis is now $28,983.28, still significantly less than the going rate of $37,465. So it's nice to see that we're in the green. But perhaps more important than that, had we YOLO'd in, what do we stack now? We've stacked uh, 2,420 US dollars. So had we YOLO'd in on July, uh, in July of 2021 for the same amount of money, we would have only stacked 6,093,262 sats. So 2,256,352 fewer sats. That stack would be worth $2,282, which is almost $1,000 less than our stack is currently worth. So eventually over a long enough horizon, lump sum in theory looks like it would beat DCA because um, if you say, if, if we DCA and eventually we get to where we've DCA'd $10,000 and Bitcoin's worth 100,000, and you say, oh, well, if you DCA'd in 10, if you'd lump summed in $10,000, you know, current close you your purchase price would only been thirty nine, and we've been DCing all the way up. Obviously, that doesn't take into the, the account the fact that we didn't have ten thousand dollars to invest; we only had twenty dollars to invest. So, at least as of this point, DCA has still beat yellowing. It has still beat lump sum investing. And to make it fair, at some point in time, we're going to have to cut our stack, uh, cut our stack off, and say, okay, um, you know, you we wouldn't have had. 5,000 or 10,000 to, to YOLO in with. So what maybe we'll say a year or two, two years worth of, of our DCA stack to uh, compare to see how lump sum and DCA has stacked up. But in the meantime, DCA has been the clear winner for us. And perhaps more importantly, that 8 million sats, man, if Bitcoin goes to the moon one day, that uh, $2,000, a little over $2,000 that we've converted into uh, Bitcoin at $1 million a coin would be worth $83,496.14. Even if Bitcoin just goes to 100,000, which it may easily do in this cycle, Adam Back says it's going to do it before the halving. Uh, at that point, our stack of 8 million sats would be worth $8,349.61. So almost 4X uh, of what we invested just by DCAing. All right, well, the rain's picking up. I don't know if you've heard it interfering. There's also a parrot that's chimed in a few times, which you probably did hear because it was pretty loud. Uh, but before anything else interrupts, I'm going to wrap this up. But don't forget to join us next Wednesday and every Wednesday while we continue to explore stacking sats using the DCA, the dollar cost average method, until Bitcoin goes to the moon and we're all sitting on a citadel on a private island somewhere or nobody's willing to sell us any more sats. Either way, Keep on stacking those sats, you sexy sat stackers.